thanks to Midriff's sponsor, Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker Devices are continually identified as leaders in the music gear industry for their commitment to creating a better, more inclusive, diverse, and welcoming music culture. You've probably seen it yourself, right? They are intentional in this work, and they take the time to do it well, and you can see it in almost everything they do, right? From sponsoring podcasts like this one to their representation in social media and artists they endorse, right? And there's probably other things that you're, we're not even seeing, right, that are behind the scenes. And then there's their truly unique, creative, inspiring pedals. Did I mention they make pedals? They're made in by hand in Akron, Ohio by like a whole pile of really, really awesome folks. Their pedals are useful and easy to use tools for like any instrument as a guitar, bass, synth, drums, whatever. And they make pretty much every type of pedal under the sun. Whether you want an octave pedal, you want a distortion pedal, you want a fuzz, you want some modulation, they've got it for you, including a few super affordable pedals that you can grab for under $100, right? Amazing. If you hear folks sing their praises, there is a reason why. And I personally played Earthquaker pedals for over 10 years, and I'm proud to have them as sponsors on this podcast and to have been able to work with them as well. And you can learn more about Earthquaker Devices at EarthquakerDevices.com. Hello and welcome to Midriff, the podcast about gender, music, and music gear. I'm your host, Hillary Jones. So it's been a strange summer over here, but I managed to get to my favorite beach today, which felt like a real miracle. I hope you've been getting out a little bit if your weather is cooperating as well. Um, yeah, just kind of a game changer. Uh, really, it really, really is. So yeah, I don't know. On the music front, uh, my band, Hansi, is getting ready to do some demo recording, which is exciting. We'll be popping into the studio in January as well. So that's been fun to prep for. Also, in addition to the most recent midriff episode on hostile environment sexual harassment, I hope you had a chance to check out Gear Time Live, the YouTube series and podcast, which is hosted by LG from Thelma and the Sleaze and Queen of Shit Mountain podcast, who has also been a guest on this podcast as well. Gear Time Live is a gear game show featuring a bunch of rad folks, and it has been ridiculously hilarious to be a part of it. Um, yeah, you can follow... Gear Time Live on Instagram. Keep your eyes peeled for new episodes. Gear Time Live is sponsored by Reverb, Earthquaker Devices, and Ruinous Media. So today, I had the pleasure of interviewing, well, maybe not today, maybe a little while back, uh, Gabriella Logan, aka Guitar Gabby, who has so many titles and jobs. There is absolutely no way I could get them all in here. It's wild, uh, but here are a few. So Gabby started Tulips, which is an international touring collective of black women and gender expansive musicians. Tulips is also a consulting firm, which provides educational support for individuals and companies. Whole bunch more about that in the episode. Uh, she's the diversity editor for Guitar Girl magazine and their big I Belong issue celebrating female and non-binary artists of color recently came out. So please check that out. She's the board chair of like 17 nonprofits, including the Girls Rock Camp Alliance. Oh, did I mention she's also a lawyer? It's casual, just wild, so much stuff. Um, so yeah, so she's really truly on top of it, like across the board, so impressive. Um, I'm gonna just pop right over to the interview because she she can describe all of this much better than I can. So with that, let's hear from Gabby in our interview. Thank you. 
Welcome to Midriff. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining me again. Right. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me listen, again. <laughs> I know. Listeners, there was a real situation with our previous recording. This is out of I, this is like the 68th or something interview that I've done. And it's only ever happened one other time that the audio had to be totally just we had to redo the whole thing. Yeah. And Gabby is a real trooper for joining me for round two. Uh, we're ready to go. It's going to be great. We're yeah. just, you know, it's like practice. We had a practice round. So it's going to be like that. Exactly. See, that's right. That's right. Uh, so Gabby, if folks maybe for some reason don't know you, can you introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and a little bit about yourself and your background with music? Yeah, so my name is Katara Gabby, she, her, and I'm the founder and CEO of The Tulips Band. We're an international Black female and gender expansive rock collective, and we work in the entertainment space, music and film, and then also in the conservation and legal spaces. Um, most of it is centered around using strategy as a tool to teach people how to create careers, longevity in their careers built off of passion. So my background outside of being a musician is I'm a music and conservation lawyer, and I work with a lot of artists to just help them, again, learn the strategy and the business behind industries, because that's what I have always been really passionate about and don't see enough people that are out there teaching that. It's easy to, to teach people how to get into the industry and do the social media thing, but nobody talks about the business and how to create longevity. So that's, that's what the Tulip Span is. Um, that's what we do. I appreciate your language around longevity. I don't know if we mentioned that last time we talked. And I I wonder if you can dig in a little bit more around that. Like, so, so with the emphasis on longevity, why is that important, do you think? I think when, when we talk about longevity, it's, there are so many artists or fish in the sea, if you will, but there's so many people who are, who want to create a career out of something that they're passionate about. I think we all want to do something, do work that, we're passionate about and that's meaningful to us but we live in a in a society where that is not readily available all the time especially for marginalized groups having access to the tools that are necessary the tools and the knowledge being one of the main tools that are necessary to create sustainability and longevity in in whatever your career is so i think when it comes to longevity the reason why that's important is it's it's easy to do actually i can summarize it in a quote that i heard the other day I don't remember what documentary I was watching. I was watching a sports documentary and the guy on there said, it's easy to be successful the first time, but you have to do it over and over again to have longevity. Yeah. And I think that that really summarizes success in a nutshell. It's easy to do it one time. It's easy to go and do one concert, you know, to get a song placed. We can do that. But when you can replicate that, then that is what creates, you know, success and longevity. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because I think that that is the situation for a lot of folks. It's like, yeah, you can do it for a little while, but then what happens, you right. know, like right. when, how much, how much more effort or attention is this going to require, especially, you know, like when additional barriers might get in your way. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious from your own background, you like when you went into law school, is this what you knew you thought you were going to be doing? Was this like the plan? Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't even have a plan. I did. And honestly, I wasn't even going to go to law school. My mom is the one who was like, you should consider this program. And I was like, mm, I don't really want to do but then when I got <laughs> to law school, one of the first things that I realized that kind of connected with uh, actually my final class that I took, a final course that I took in my undergrad was a philosophy mm -hmm. course. And that professor really 
changed the way that I saw the world around me forever. And it was Mm. very simple, but he just was talking about using other people's perspectives and studying philosophy to be able to uh, understand the principle of perspective and how you can use that to your advantage. So by the time I got to law school, the foundation of law is philosophy, is logic. Mm. It is in that I've always been a logical thinking person, but being able to learn the art of turning that on and off and and, uh, working it to my advantage became a skill that I became interested in learning how to master. And so Mm -hmm. once I started figuring that out and started figuring out how I can use that to control my career and how to Mm -hmm. let my passion work for me and not me working for it, or even working in other jobs and industries that I didn't necessarily want to be in, but I had to get a job. I have to work. You know, Georgia Power doesn't accept passion as a form of (laughs) So I had to figure it out. But once I started realizing (laughs) that the foundation, the root of all of this is strategy, it is strategy. And when you have knowledge, you have the power and knowledge is not readily and easily accessible to marginalized groups. So that's why I've been like, once I got out of all of this and like really started getting into my career bag, then I was like, okay, I think mm. we're coming together. It's coming together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, fun. like when you're in school, I feel like your brain is just so like, blah, blah, blah. you know, like, you're just on all the time. Like, I got to finish. I got to make it to the finish line. Yeah. I got to do all these things just to make it. Yeah. And so like being able to like be out in the world, figure out how it gets applied and then maybe see like a bigger picture, like how things sort of can come together. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 So I guess, can you talk a little bit about how you kind of got into music? Yeah, I started, actually, my journey with music started with the piano. My Mm -hmm. mom put me in piano lessons. I want to say I was like maybe 10 or 11. I think I was Mm -hmm. 11. And that didn't really stick that long. <laughs> it was cool, though. Um, and then I started uh, in middle school, I started playing the clarinet because I knew I wanted to do something. I was always I've always been musically inclined and I've always been an athlete. So those were the two areas that I really felt like, OK, this is where I shine and what I want to do. So yeah. when I started, uh, I ran track and played soccer, I played soccer my whole life and, and track. So in middle school, I started running track, playing soccer, and then I joined the marching band. And so I learned mm. how to play the clarinet. Then I started playing the oboe and kind of in between all of those things happening at once, I realized, I think I want to try to play the guitar. I think mm. that instrument might be what I'm looking for to give me the release that I'm searching for inside. So my mom got me my first guitar and I taught myself how to play. And I used to take them apart and put them back together to try to figure out how they work. Because again, mm. like I, I needed to understand the why behind things. And I needed to understand how this is and not just memorize how to play it. So that's how I started learning how to play. And then I studied classical guitar theory for about three years. And that was also an eye-opening experience for my approach to understanding guitar, similarly Mm -hmm. to how philosophy kind of helped my approach to the world around me. So I kind of find my music journey has been these different pockets of ahas, or what I I like to call them extraction points. And those Mm -hmm. extraction points are when I when my life kind of went, you know what? I think I just figured out something. Let's go this direction and see where that Mm. takes us. So Mm. that's kind of been, honestly, a lot of my music journey, even, you know, getting up to to where we are now. And then when I was in college, I think I was a freshman. Towards the end of my freshman year, I started playing for Diamond from Crime Mob, and she wanted a band, and she wanted Black girls. And so I pulled together musicians that I had been playing with, you know, around that time, and um, I started the tulips while we were playing for Diamond. And from there, it's just evolved into into what it is today. But I think the intention of 
what I was looking for from when I first started with the piano, you know, to where we are now. The intention that I was always looking for was how can I do something that makes me feel good, but also make other people feel good? And how can we replicate that for us by us in an industry that doesn't prioritize us, but monopolizes off of us? So that's always been my my foundation in music. Totally. That that's great. So with that, can you maybe explain to folks a little bit about what Tulips does or how it functions? Yeah. Yeah. So Tulips is, we have three faces of the company and at the core, we have the Tulips gang and the Tulips gang are all of the musicians that are around the world that right now we have, I've actually been in like a heavy recruitment season, actually. I saw so that on your Instagram. Up. You're like, we need Boston. We need London. We need y'all stand up. Um, so <laughs> there are about 25. I'm looking at my scribbly note pad that I was literally writing recruitment notes on yesterday, but we have about 25 musicians around the world. And so whenever I have different engagements through one of, or all of the three faces of the company that I call in the game. So the first face of the company is called Tulips Band. And so any like touring, any of my studio work, um, when we've done uh, film projects, like scoring, producing films, acting opportunities, all of that comes through the Tulips Band. And then mm-hmm. the second phase is called Tulips Consulting Group, which I started when I gra- graduated from law school. And that, again, is working with musicians, but also working um, on the inside and outside, if you will. We're working at the community level with artists and community organizations to teach people the strategy and the business behind industries. But then I also work with corporations and nonprofits and record labels and other and manufacturing companies to kind of create this the space that's necessary so that when we bridge that gap, We have people who have the knowledge and power, and we also have companies that have the infrastructure to sustain marginalized talent in these positions, going back to longevity. And then the third place of Tulips (laughs) is Tulips Academy. And so it's really Mm -hmm. important to me. Education has always been very important to me. Um, And so Tulips Academy um, is our music and film business strategy academy. And we partner with different girls, rock camps and other entities to provide education to to young girls and trans youth um, just to teach them from day one. Because if I knew a lot of what I know now, when I first started at 11 years old, my mm-hmm. trajectory would have been different. But I also am thankful that my path was the way it was because I needed to to learn a lot sure. of things in order to get to the why to be able to bring it back full circle. So that's yeah. kind of how groups is set up in a long elevator pitch. <laughs> Yes, I know. In my mind, I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm also like from a business perspective, I'm like, are those different? Like, a, like, how does this work? Are they actually functionally this all under the same umbrella business wise? Just out yeah, of curiosity. They okay, are cool. underneath the Tulip Span. Just different and then, streams and different programs. Yeah, it's sort just of, three different yeah. streams or three different yeah. sub umbrellas, if you will. And then each yeah. of those sub umbrellas have different programs. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we need to cool. do a diagram. Yeah, really. I, I want to see it. <laughs> I'm a post-it model. What's I have like, right? I have a I have a post-it note wall, and it just has the 11 million things that I need to do that I might or might not get to this year. But I'm going to put that on there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I just visually, for my own curiosity, I like. I want to see it. Amazing. Um. So you are also uh, the diversity editor at Guitar Girl. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you're because you're doing a trillion things. Yeah. I feel like we're never going to get through them all. But there's even if we did, we probably there's still be more that I just didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. There's Surprise. a lot of things that I don't even yeah. know about that I'd be doing. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I find out 
happens. Um, but yeah, so I'm the diversity editor at Guitar Girl Mag- Magazine. And there's a lot that comes with that. But to condense it, one of the things, one of the biggest consistent projects that we've been working on, um, me and some members of the Tulips fan, is an annual edition that called I Belong. And it is solely dedicated to um, artists from marginalized identities. And I'm really, really excited because this is our third year doing it. I actually, part of what's on my my post-it note wall is to finish mm-hmm. editing because I have to submit everything today um, as some of the artists are <laughs> texting me right now with their interviews. <laughs> late. It's okay. Because <laughs> I'm awesome. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's basically uh, what I do with Guitar Girl Magazine. And I'm really happy to just be able to, to curate that, having something that's for us, by us. I was actually teaching a workshop yesterday to a group of kids at a camp called mm-hmm. How Big Is Your Dream, run by JFly. And what part of what we were talking about uh, was the principles of equity. And one of those principles is access. And so we talked about how you can use your platform and your voice to create access to other people being able to uh, do things that you also want to do or being able to use your platform to inspire change and to inspire um, to provide again to provide access for people to be inspired. And so part of the examples that we talked about was the curation of that edition and how being able to use my platform allows me the opportunity to give access to other people that come from uh, backgrounds that are like mine mm-hmm. and that are not like mine. And I think that when you're able to do that, it's such a beautiful story to just be able to hear everyone's everyone's paths totally. and where they come from, yeah. their journey. Yeah, it's awesome just to be able to see that there's a space for folks to be able to like have that, you know, have their stories told, have yeah. those features, like so people can learn about them, but also like I think feel camaraderie for shared experiences and then learn like, oh, there's all these different ways that I can get to that I can be a person or get to where I want to be, which is I think awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You are also the board chair of the GRCA. Are you still the board chair? Awesome. Um, so mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit? I, I know obviously about the GRCA. I was on the board myself at one point, but uh, can you explain what the GRCA is? The Girls Rock Camp Alliance? Yeah, GRCA in a nutshell, another <laughs> one of those uh, mm-hmm. umbrella diagrams. I'm going to try to paint with my words, but the GRCA is a global alliance of uh, actually a global alliance network. Network is the word that I think I want to use. But um, essentially, there's a lot of different girls rock camps that are all over the world. um, And each of them kind of operate as their own nonprofits um, where they provide music and camp experiences to kids from the communities that they serve. And so the GRCA kind of serves as this umbrella or this like mothership, if you will, um, of support to the different camps that are in different countries. And so being a part of that board Um, A lot of the work that we've been doing and are continuing to do is finding ways to just create more thorough ways to support camps, Mm -hmm. more intentional ways to support camp, um, different camps. And then even with that, I would say another thing that we've been discussing is just wrapping accountability Mm -hmm. into that model so that we can curate intentional safe spaces for everyone that comes from all different walks of life and all different types of backgrounds, but can also feel like they're contributing to a movement for the generations behind them. So the Girls Rock Camp Alliance kind of serves as this this mothership, again, uh, of network support, different camps. Yeah, lots of like, I mean, there's hundreds of camps around, like literally around the world. And yeah, and so it's, it is this, it's, there's so many people and it's so cool to see people doing this work in so many different places and like doing it in a way that works for their communities, but having like a generally shared mission and maybe in some cases structure for how things operate. So it's nice to be able to talk to people who are also doing that work and like helping everyone kind of grow together, which is 
awesome. And even just seeing the transition and the changes that have been happening within the organization over the last like 15 years or whatever has been really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it's, I, you know, being a board chair is a lot of work. I know you're on other boards too. So uh, hats off to you <laughs> for that. <laughs> and I literally was about to submit an application for another board and I don't know why I would do that to myself. <laughs> my sister says I'm going to be one of those 60 year old women who's just like on boards and that's my full time yeah. career. And I can that's a hundred. I, I, I mean, I don't know you super well, but you know what? Nailed it. Nailed it. That's <laughs> right. right. <laughs> let's come back to your music stuff a little bit. So let's talk about gear. Um, or actually, let's talk about your music stuff generally right now, like kind of what you're doing musically right now. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit and get into some gear specific stuff. Okay. The two things that come to mind actually are um, we just finished working on a project in partnership with Long Island University and TV Writer Studio in the Rock Nation Film School up at LIU in Brooklyn. And so we worked with the TV Writer Studio program to produce a student film, of which I'm so happy that I was able to play the lead role. It was my first lead role, um, and it was really, really exciting to, to partner with them on that project. And then Tulips also produced all of the music. So all of the music that's featured in that film is my original music, and it was such a great experience to be able to record things at the last minute. Like I was sharing with the kids yesterday that one of the songs called The Reclamation which is the second thing I'm going yes. to talk about. But one of the songs called The Reclamation, I like finished writing at the last minute, which is a lot of times what happens. I have this catalog of like half written songs. <laughs> and then when the moment arises, where I'm like, oh, you know what? Let me go through my Rolodex. And I find a song and I finish writing it. And then I'm like, hey, gang, we need to get in the studio tomorrow to record because we have to film mm -hmm. next week. So um, that, that whole process was grueling and very exciting at the same time. So we just uh, premiered that uh may 9th this past may 9th um and we did a full band concert we also did an acoustic um soundtrack show um with so far sounds so and both of those videos are now up on our uh, youtube pages so that's one of the biggest things that we've been working on and then um stemming out of that uh i'm getting ready to release and i haven't even really said anything just because i i don't know why <laughs> But we're working on the cover art for it also, but I'm going to be releasing a single from my new album. Um, and the song is called The Reclamation, and the album is called Ain't Found a Way to Kill Me Yet. Mm. And so I, we don't have a release date for the album yet, but The Reclamation will be coming out, uh, the single will be coming out in a few months here. So I'm, I'm excited That's about awesome. that. Because it's, it's been a minute since I released the music, but going back to intentionality, I like to be very intentional with what I put out there and not just... Oh, we gotta hurry up and do something because right. everybody on the internet is putting stuff out every 30 yeah. seconds. So do it when it feels right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your gear experience. So you started out playing well, like what was your first guitar? And then like what's your current setup? Um, what was my first guitar? My first guitar was a uh it was a Johnson, I think it was called a Johnson. It was like a, a cheap guitar. I think we got it at um there used to be a music store by my house and it was called Galaxy Music. It's now Ken Stanton Music, but it was called Galaxy. And my actually mm -hmm. my guitar tag that I still have to this day, his name is Tommy Thompson. Love you, Tommy. Um, Tommy sold my first guitar and he taught me so much about guitars. Like he taught me so much. So that was my first guitar. And then I got my first real guitar, as I like to say, was an Ibanez RG120, which I still have. And then yes, after good. that, I got a Jackson Dinky which I still have. I have reverse headstock or reverse headstock. headstock. Yeah. Good. Wanted to clarify. Yeah. yeah. And yep. I really, I love that guitar um, a lot. It has a very sharp bite 
to it, which I love to use mm-hmm. for like punchy solos and stuff like that. Yeah. And then um, moving into, I started playing ESP guitars and then I got endorsed with them in 2000 and I want to say 2017 or 18. And then um, yeah. I played ESP for a really long time. I still play my ESP in, uh, for a lot of studio work. And then I started, I've always yeah. had a PRS. I actually had a PRS Opeth model that someone gifted to me for free which the story for that is Whoa. like absolutely crazy because I don't think I've ever met anyone in life that just gives away PRS guitars. That's right. Wild. So I got that guitar like Dang. a little over 10 years ago and I still have it. And then it's funny because talking about full circle, um, maybe four years ago, three or four years ago, I got endorsed with PRS. And so I now play, I go between all of those guitars, honestly, though. I play all yeah. of the, it just depends on what my need is, what I'm doing. But my PRS and my ESP are my my two go-tos. My PRS is a SC Custom 24. And um, I have signature EMG pickups in them. And also endorsed the EMG. Love y'all. And then when it comes to strings, <laughs> um, I play Ernie Ball, which I'm also endorsed with them. I love the, the super slinkies. I play nines and tens. And then uh, when it comes to guitar straps, I actually, I think a lot of people don't realize the art of getting a good guitar strap. Ooh, yeah. It's easy to just get a nice, spend all your money on guitars and pickups and pedals. And those things yep. will eat your budget up. But if you don't have a good strap and your guitar falls while you're on stage, which has happened to me several times, and then the input uh-huh. jack gets mashed in, you can't do anything with that. And that has happened to me a lot. Nope. So I'm now endorsed with Jody Head Straps, and she makes custom leather straps. And she's made me so many beautiful straps that I've used for a lot of really cool moments uh, throughout my career. So that's kind of my setup right now. When it comes to amps, I am a tube girl. I am a tube amp girl. And I actually have a crate 50 mm-hmm. watt that I'm looking at now in my office. I, I, that was the first amp that I got from Tommy like 15 years ago. And I still play that amp. It ha- I mean, it's... Is that... Uh, is it... Uh, what color is it? It's black. It's a, a okay. Yeah, it's a black uh, fifty. Okay, I'm trying to like visualize which model it is. I'm sure I could figure it out. I'm sure if I saw it, I'd be like, oh, it's that. Yeah, but. I don't even, I don't even know which model it is. And then it's fine. That's like the main amp that I play. And then I have a Fender yeah. Twin Reverb, which I like that too. But it just depends on what style I'm playing. And then I have a custom yeah. twenty four half stack, which I really like too. Nice. But that's like for when I do arenas and stuff like that. Yeah. Totally. They're all very different. Very different. Perhaps. Very different. And I see like your whole collection of like every guitar and amp on earth in the background. And I feel like it's necessary as a musician. We have to have like one of everything. (laughs) Everyone is different. They're all special. They're like little snowflakes. They are. They are. Right? I need all of them. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's, let's get in a little bit, like we're shifted slightly. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences with like gender identities sort of more broadly in gear? Like how have those things sort of intersected for you in the past? And that could be with regard to like recording, like actually purchasing or acquiring gear, like live stuff. I think that there's a couple of different angles there's there's a lot to unpack with that, but I think some of the, yeah. the angles that come to mind is going back to being, I'm a young black girl. I grew up, I'm from Atlanta and I grew up in the South. So yeah. growing up and listening to a lot of rock music and listening to all these different genres and not really knowing the history of where these genres were birthed from really created a mm-hmm. tough um, a tough period or tough journey for me starting yeah. out because I didn't know like, who can I talk to that would understand 
this because every time I go into Guitar Center or any type of music store, with the exception of Tommy, my experience inside of music stores has just been very patronizing. I mean, like from the moment mm -hmm. that I walk in the door. And then me being Black on top of that has kind of created this extra layer of BS. So I kind of just got to the point where I just really, and part of the reason why I really wanted to understand so that I didn't have to keep going into spaces and get, being given half-assed answers because yeah. of whatever patriarchy is happening in Guitar Center. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, and that's, and I think going back to education, like being another avenue of, of gender identity when it comes to being in, in the music industry, especially being someone who plays an instrument, being able to see someone that looks like you, that's doing something that you want to do is so important. And I mm -hmm. think that um, I'm happy to see that we're we're seeing more people of all diverse backgrounds that are playing instruments on social media. And that's such a beautiful thing because the kids of this generation now are blessed to be able to see that every time you get on Instagram. I mean, every three, four videos, yeah. I'm seeing a black girl. We've got, you know, somebody else who's non-binary. We got somebody else who's come. I just met somebody yep. else from uh, Brazil uh, that plays guitar and she is sickening and i just met her like 30 minutes ago so just being oh able gosh. to see yeah. to see so many different people that come from di different gender backgrounds and different expressions of and walks of life has not mm -hmm. only been impactful for i think the current generation of kids but also as an adult because it inspires yeah. me every day when i see people who do and don't look like me um but that are not also you know falling in the the cis white man box that is really yeah. most of the guitar playing world so being able to see anybody outside of that is nice, especially when they're <laughs> empowered to, you know, exude the confidence that that um, that they have internally. But I think, again, being part of marginalized identities inside of the industry, it's hard to find that foundation of confidence internally. But when you find it and you're able to share that with other people in, in other marginalized uh, spaces, I think it's it's such a beautiful thing. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. It sounded like at one point you were sort of alluding to having trouble within like more like the rock scene initially when you were getting into it and like figuring out your identity. Yeah. And I assume now that there is more, I think, historical connection about like where rock music came from and stuff like that. Was that helpful? Do you think once that was like <laughs> if that's now that that's been discussed more, I feel like there's more space for folks maybe to like, be yeah. like oh, yeah, I do. have This connection does make perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bummer that like that it hasn't been there. But like, right. Here we are. Right. Right. One hundred percent. I definitely think that that has that that helped me to one, figure out my identity and be comfortable mm -hmm. and confident in that and then being confident in the skin that I'm in. And that I, I really think that one of the people that really kind of catapulted me into appreciating my identity and the skin that I'm in more is Sisters at a Tharp. And when I learned about Sisters at a Tharp, I was in college. Like I was almost yeah. like a full grown adult. And yeah. so for years prior to that, I was kind of, you know, I wasn't, I was fine, but like, you know, I, it would have been nice <laughs> yeah. to, you know, learn about somebody that looked like me. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, and it's funny because my sister, I think like maybe two months ago, my sister surprised me with tickets to go see Shout Sister Shout. And it's the story of Sister Zeta Tharp, who was just a beautiful black queer woman in the early 1900s, just being who she was. And I think I, whenever people ask me who are some people or artists that inspire me, 
Sister is at a Tharp is always one of the first people that I mentioned, but it's not even because of her guitar playing. It's because of the, right. the, the perseverance and the principles mm-hmm. of the circumstances of the world that were around her and how she didn't allow that to be the barrier or the things that stopped her from moving forward. And as a young black girl, years and years later, being able to learn about her and study her and see that. And then you add the guitar playing on top of that. Yeah. I'm sold. Say less. Say less. <laughs> and then even learning yeah. about Tina Bell, who I didn't learn yeah. about Tina Bell until I was an adult. So it's just, and I'm sure there are so many other uh, black queer women that I don't even know about. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. just so many people that I just don't even know about. But I think that, um, beginning to have these conversations in all different mediums from a lot of different people from every walk of life is necessary. And it goes back to what I was saying when I took that first philosophy course, it's perspective. And when you're able to yeah. learn and observe other people's perspectives, it it really does change how you view yourself and how you view people in the world around you. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so wild how culturally this like recognition is so important. And I remember I didn't find out about, about sister Rosetta Tharp or Tina Bell until adulthood as well. And I, afterwards I was just like, why did I not know about this? Also, I'm kind of mad. Like, right, right, right. I'm <laughs> you know what upset. I mean? Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad that it's that some of the history, I'm sure there's, as you're saying, like a ton that we don't know about, but yeah. Right. Moving in the right direction, I guess. So that's, yeah, that's good. Definitely. We're <laughs> yeah. de- the pin, the needle starting to move in the right direction. Cause first it was yes. down, but <laughs> Now yes. I'm starting a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so last time we spoke, which was I think in like February, maybe it was like a minute ago uh, or March or something. Yeah, it, was um, it was it was a little bit after some of this AI stuff had sort of started popping up. This AI stuff uh, out. Yeah, and I think I had asked you about it because as somebody who's doing that type of law or has a background in that, like what the legal implications of that were. I'm wondering if you have had any more thoughts about that as far as like implications, especially for like marginalized groups. You know, it's funny because I was talking to my parents today about AI and how AI is low-key but high-key coming for everybody's jobs. Yeah. Which concerns me. (laughs) And like, I don't know if Congress (laughs) is aware that this is something we need to be regulating now. Yeah. So I think that the implications of that, of AI being, when it comes to the music industry and and AI being something that is a fast growing thing that people are using to create and produce music. um, On one hand, it's like the creative aspect of it is cool because humans built something this cool from scratch. And that is very cool. However, I think when, when it gets to the point where AI is, I'm trying to figure out how, the word that I want to use, not taking the place of, but it sometimes feels that I can see a path down the road in the music industry where AI, where entities might begin using AI to try to replicate Black culture in music. Yeah. And th- first of all, we can never be replicated. So <laughs> there you go. that's number one. Yeah. But I, I can see things going in that direction. And I think that that is another in um, taking advantage of marginalized creative minds in the music industry. And that does, that concerns me. But going back to 
what do you like what can you do about that as an artist as a musician in in any space in any industry what can you do about that i think that goes back to why strategy and education and knowledge is so important not that mm-hmm. we can stop you know everything that you know is happening in capitalism it's kind of too late we, have, we can't stop that <laughs> but you can learn how to work around it and you can figure yeah. out ways to um to to i don't want to say capitalize in the same context but capitalizing capitalism you can find ways to like capitalize off capitalism i mean like why not other people have been doing yeah. centuries like why can't you create a career mm-hmm. and and make some longevity and sustainability for yourself so yeah. ai yeah i don't there's a lot with ai that there's a lot yeah. to unpack with that but i think that there's yeah. there's there's a lot and when it comes to the legal side of things i think that there's still a lot of dot dot dots yeah. I mean, it's just, this is not something, it kind of just showed up. So this is not something that has legally been able to be planned for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. It's it's a lot, but I think that it all boils back down to strategy. And I always say there's nothing new under the sun. So we have, I'm sure there have been throughout history in the music industry, there's been other things that have popped up. Yeah. And yeah. at that time, people were probably like, whoa, computers? What are we supposed to do with that? Whoa, 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 whoa. So, right, right, right. I don't know. Yeah. But we're going to have this one's a little bit yeah. different this time. So I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll start a separate podcast about that and we'll come yeah, back to it. Yeah, there's a lot with that. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> yes. Okay. So my last question before I ask you to share with folks, like, kind of things to look out for. Um, if if someone came to you in the industry asking you about like, you know, what to do to improve it for cis women, trans folks, uh, non-binary folks, folks of color, any marginalized group, like what would you recommend? They're like, tell me what to do. Please help me. Yeah, <laughs> therapy might be a really good start. <laughs> I hate, <I'm> just, <laughs> um, good answer. I think honestly though, I think that um, people in positions of power there's been this reoccurring thing with people in positions of power where they do this branded, I'm listening to marginalized groups. Tell me what you want to mm-hmm. hear. Oh, look, the DEI mm-hmm. movement. Let's appropriate that. So, th- <laughs> I mean, so I think that it starts with listening. Uh-huh. I really do honestly think that change starts with listening, which is a very difficult, very difficult principle for all of us because we yeah. all have one thing in common, which is we're humans. And humans tend to hume often. And it is... It's it's difficult to to change an industry, especially when you're someone that has worked your way up or even if you've just been given power. It's yeah. difficult to to put your mind in a vulnerable perspective to to implement or to use your power to implement change, because if you're not listening to the people that you're serving or the people that you're capitalizing off of or the people whose ideas and, and style that you're appropriating from, we're just going to keep the wheel just continues to go in circles. So I think one thing when it comes to people that are in positions of power, one thing that they can do to change the industry is to simply listen. And we can start there and not hearing, listening, like spiritually listening and learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. To listen. Cause y'all don't listen. (laughs) (laughs) You're not. And this is something that. Yeah. Right. Operation. Listen. And I've run into a lot of that myself on a regular, but as recent as like last week with the company, I'm just, how many times are we going to talk about it? So that means that you're either not listening or you don't care. And either one of those still puts us in a position of not moving forward. So we need to like therapy, (laughs) group therapy, individual therapy, 
Therapy is good. I'll t- wherever you want to start. Wherever you want to start, but we need to yeah. start somewhere because what is yeah. what we've been doing in the industry is not. It doesn't work for everybody, but I mean the industry yeah. is also set up like that. It's not supposed to work for everybody. Surprise! Right, yeah. right. There we go. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, this is great. I, I think that's useful for everyone. If you need a recommendation for a therapist, I will help you find one personally. Yes. Shoot me a message. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we all need therapy. We really yep, do. For sure. So can you, for folks who want to stay in touch, they want to know what's going on, like how anything immediate you want to tell people about or uh, and or how to keep in contact with you? Yes, definitely follow me on all the social medias at Guitar Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y. I tend to tell people because we all have short-term memories in 2023. So I tend to tell people that if you forget the ads and the handles and the website, just Google Guitar Gabby and everything will pop up and you can click on whatever you want to click on the website. There you go. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, whatever you want to click. So yeah, Guitar Gabby. And then um, if you are interested in joining the Tulips gang out there looking to recruit some some black female and gender expansive folk to join the gang it's gang activity worldwide so feel free to shoot me an email which you can also just google find the website and or you can just shoot me a dm but do not text me because some of y'all get a little out of pocket <laughs> i got texted. i got a text like two days ago and i was like i did not ask i did not ask for this <laughs> i gotta block it some of y'all gotta be blocked so but yeah, just oh move boy, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think uh, it sounds like you are. There's a lot of cities that you are functioning in, and so yeah. like you know, if any if people are around and and or I would imagine willing to travel a, a, some amount, like there seems like there's some availability potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everything. Cool. Listen, anything is possible. Everything is negotiable. That's what I say. Boom. There we go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time today. This is awesome. Thank you. And I hope the audio yes. doesn't play with us this time. I, too, hope that. <laughs> I have my fingers crossed. My arms are crossed and my fingers are crossed within my arms. Right. So I That's feel like that, that works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks so much to Gabby for this conversation. It was so great to get to hear about uh, more detail about all of the things we talked about. And as I mentioned, you know, like she was a real trooper for joining me again for the second time. I don't know what happened with the audio the first time. It was bad. So today, I'm glad we were able to make it happen. So links to keep up with Gabby's many, many projects, including joining the Tulips game yourself, potentially, in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, reach out with any questions, ideas, or recommendations. Thank you.